Welcome to the A to Z Running Podcast, where we help runners thrive. I'm Andy. And I am Zach. And up next, endurance rehab PTA Rob Andro discusses the essentials of successful injury rehabilitation. And after that, world of running updates from Monaco and a note about blood lactate. Don't forget to submit your question if you have a question or questions, and we will feature them on the end of month Q&A episode. Possibly. You can do that by going to a to zrunning.com slash question. That's the place to go so that you share your question. <laughs> and if you're not finding that super well, it's because you have to type it into your browser. Or you could just email us or DM me on Instagram. Any of those ways work. We love to connect with you. Speaking of which, last week on the show, we had elite runner Andrea Pomeranski, and she wanted to add something to our conversation that we had that was about returning to running after injury. It was Patience with Urgency. That was the title of the show. And she wrote this As I was listening, I think there were two things things that could really help anyone coming back to sport. And those are enjoying and falling in love with the process of improvement itself versus times and the outcome. We talk a lot here on the show about how you can control the input, but sometimes there's lots of variables that will change the output. So focusing on what you can control and improvement and also having other things in your life that are important besides running. Andrea says, my kids and family always put things in perspective and keep me so busy. So aside from when I'm actually running, I don't spend a lot of time worrying or thinking about running or ruminating on less than ideal workouts. It's so important to have more than one egg in your basket, you know? If you like eggs. (laughs) Or strawberries in your basket or whatever you have in your basket. But Andrea, that is such a great piece of advice there because it is true that if we we become so hyper-focused on just running, then it becomes exponentially more disappointing when things aren't going well in running. So it's great to have, we say it here all the time, a thriving life. So uh, a life that is enriched by running, but if running was taken away, that we have other things that we can do or we know who we are beyond the sport. So I think that was really deep insight from Andrea. And chances are that's really not an if, but a when. Running injury studies have yielded as many as as much as, hmm, as I'm not exactly sure which word to use here, as much as 50% of the time, no, as much as 50% of runners are hurt in a given year and up to 25% of runners are hurt at any given moment, mm. right? Um, now, these, of course, you, they can't know for sure because they're not studying every single runner across all areas all the time. Um, but it, it's at least significant. And that's the point, you know, because um, injury is one of the disappointments and there are many others mm. in the running scene. And so naturally, we should expect a degree of disappointment in this kind of a thing. Um, and as a consequence, you know, don't make our entire lives about whether it's going well, because th- those will be some miserable times when it's not. Mm. Well, today we have another great topic that kind of goes along with it, and it's about essentials to our rehabilitation from injury back into sport. And so as we discuss this, we can think about those things that Andrea spoke about last week, too, and it can help us build a good picture of what we're going to need when we face injury. And Ah, Zach said it, when, (laughs) when we face injury. Yeah, speaking of when you face injury, if that injury in particular has something to do with your hip flexors, there may be a tool to help. Mm -hmm. So I use the hip hook by Aletha Health, and it helps release your iliacus and your psoas muscles. Because those are things. Yes, and they're hard to get to places. So it stabs you down right by your hip bone, and you're able to release that. It's a trigger release tool. So you can get a discount if you use a code A-T-O-Z, A to Z, and you can find that at Aletha Health. I'll also link that at A to Z running.com. Excellent. Well, now that you have a little bit to think about, with injury and rehabilitation. Let's give you a lot more to think about with our main topic. In this episode, as we just mentioned, we're going to be talking about how to get back to the sport of running if we've been injured or had a surgery or 
there is a period of time where you need to have some rehabilitation for one reason or another. We brought on Rob Andro, and he discusses the dangers and mistakes runners can make when returning mm-hmm. to sport, as well as the essentials that we need to do well when we're returning. A little about our guest, Rob Andro. He's a physical therapist assi- assistant with the team at Endurance rehabilitation and athletics he's a former golf pro he's a literal trailblazer as he develops and maintains trails in west michigan you call him a trailblazer or a bushwhacker (laughs) what's the right term here he does both you got a bushwhack in order to make a new trail if you are in west michigan and you like the trails around here there's a good chance rob has had a hand in something about the trail you run thank him for making west michigan so great when it comes to our trail systems and he's also of course a runner so let's talk to rob hey rob welcome to the a to z running podcast thank you happy to be here well, I get to be part of like your world, right? Because I'm coming in and seeing you in the office. But now you get to come into the A to Z running podcast world. And we're so happy to have you here. I feel barely worthy. <laughs> come on. But I'll, I'll do what I can to live up to expectations. Well, I have to let all of you know that Rob has been so amazing in helping me in my rehabilitation from these labral tears. And just really thank you for all that you do, not only for me, but for so many other athletes. And that's what we want to talk about here today, about how runners can come back to sport and what you see as being successful pieces of that puzzle and how people can come back and do the sport that we all love. Uh, Well, it's an honor. Thank you uh, again. Um, I'd say the biggest thing that most people, I don't want to say get wrong, but when they get injured or they have a situation they're dealing with is they kind of shut everything down. They stop moving. And the people that we see who have the most success, yourself included, they don't stop moving. They do everything they possibly can up up until their surgery or up until the medical professionals make them stop. Uh, And even then, uh, we've had several who did everything they could to stay strong, maybe not participating in their primary sport. But if, say, they have a knee issue, they can make sure their ankles and their lower leg and their hips stay strong. They do everything they can to have that limb or that part of their body that's injured that's going to get repaired or fixed. Stay strong, stay limber. Uh, that absolutely speeds recovery mm-hmm. the other side. Yeah, I think sometimes I can feel counterintuitive, like before we have a surgery or when we're feeling injured, where we're like, we can't do anything. We have to like protect, you know, these things that are injured, which is what we need to do. But I think that a lot of us just need guidance and like, what are the things that we can do and what are the things that are safe to do right now to set ourselves up for success later? And I think that's a big piece of the puzzle. And that's why I think it's so valuable to come to professionals like you that can help guide all of this. Yeah, seeing a, some kind of physical therapist, and I would just hope most surgeons who deal with athletes would have a, a therapist that they're comfortable with that they would send a patient to for that situation. Uh, and, and again, using you as an example, you've had two done. Mm-hmm. The rehab that Dr. Weirk's team put down for you to follow for the first one that you did for both sides has absolutely, I guess, expedited the recovery on the second side mm-hmm. because you're stronger in that regard around the hip joint than you were before the surgery. Mm -hmm. And even during the recovery process, you talk about like motion. We've talked about this quite a bit, the two of us, like motion and what we can do to help ourselves in, in the recovery. And is that partly like blood flow or what what all is involved when it comes to staying uh, active that is beneficial to a recovering athlete? Blood flow is a big part. Muscle activation is another big part. Right, you don't want to be very stationary. You need to keep moving. Mm-hmm. Do everything you can that that is allowed by your doctor, allowed by your physical therapist, uh, allowed by your therapy team, or you're just your health professionals, you're, whoever you're working with, that you that you can do. So you know you can't run, but you can walk. Mm-hmm. So get out and walk. You can get on the bike. Get on the bike as soon as you can. If you can get in a pool once your incisions close up, get in the pool. Mm-hmm. The more you can do to keep the blood flow circulating through the body and keep those muscles activated and strong. Uh, and I guess in some cases, get them turned back on, right? Uh, sometimes muscles come back from surgery a little more slowly. So everything everything you can do to get them working again sooner just quickens the whole process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's cool how a lot of 
our episodes can relate. So last week we talked to Andrea uh, Pomeranski and she had talked about having a sense of urgency when you're coming back while being patient and like the tension mm -hmm. that can be there. But the sense of urgency doesn't mean the sense of urgency as in I'm going to plow through this, but the sense of urgency as in like what I'm doing today matters. I need, I need to do this today, even though it seems like a very small thing to realize um, how that can set you up for success later on. And I, I think I don't want to speak for our audience and those that are injured out there who have been through programs, but sometimes it's hard to see this little exercise that you do um, as part of the bigger picture. Sometimes it's really hard to see how important that one little thing can yeah. be with the other pieces, of course. Uh, can you can you just talk us through how these little things can set us up for the big things later? First of all, there are no little things. <laughs> okay, yeah. Right? I mean, it's it's all really important, and and your guests' comments were one hundred percent correct. There, every little thing you do post surgery is going to speed that recovery. There's a lot of things we do in our daily life as a runner. We'll, we'll use the running as an example. That there's a lot of muscles you don't necessarily use or fully strengthen while running. Mm but you need them. You know, it's, it's, it's like a runner who develops a muscle imbalance because all they do is run. They don't do anything else. Well, you need those other muscles to be strong, to recover. So there is no small exercise. There's no muscle small enough that should be ignored. Uh, every little bit of it needs to be used, turned on and activated to stabilize the joint to make you a stronger, healthier athlete afterwards. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, that was a really great key to success. Are there any others that you want to mention? I guess the thing I talk to people the most about, yourself included, is patience. Um, being your own um, engine through this process. We, we see you once to twice, maybe three times a week. You have to do your exercises. So anyone who comes in and is really anxious, they don't follow the protocol, they don't do their exercises, those are the people who typically have the most difficulty. Um, beyond that, I always, uh, on that patience kind of idea again, remind everyone not to look at each day through a microscope, but instead to kind of stick, take a step back and look at the last seven days, the last two weeks. Very rarely is a post-surgery recovery journey back to sport a clean linear progression. Mm. There's always steps back where the surgical site will hurt. It'll be sore. It'll be some inflammation. The muscles around it will hurt and people get really like, depressed, they get a little step back, like, oh my gosh, something's wrong. It's not, it's rarely, rarely something is wrong. It's just, you're doing more, you're feeling better, and you're challenging that site in ways it hasn't been. So look at it kind of big picture versus through a little microscope. Mm -hmm. And if we go through a program, I, I'm springing this one on you. So if we go yeah. through a, pro, a program, a rehabilitation program, I have a certain amount that I'm supposed to be able to do for PT and something does come up. Is that a time that we come back to PT? Um, what do we do when we do have like something that we might be concerned about? I would say start with your physical therapist. Yeah. Start with your physical therapy team, a PTA like myself or the PT who did the evaluation. Mm -hmm. Go back there and check in with them. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think I've ever come across a time where someone has needed to go back to the surgeon mm -hmm. or, the, or the medical team initially, because a lot of times it is something, something pretty small. A uh, small, you know, like maybe a muscle strain, uh, they might, you know, fall and bruise something. It's something that's actually endangering the surgery or endangering the procedure or, you know, re-injuring the joint. It's just a small setback that they have to process. As far as questions, you know, you talk about putting the, the runner kind of in the, in the driver's seat, right? Mm -hmm. Because they have to do this at home and they are going to know how their body is feeling the best, right? Because they're the ones who are actually, Hopefully. you know, you know, feeling the day in and day out and how things are adjusting and progressing. So what questions might be good for a, an athlete to ask their medical professional? Well, depending on how far back you want to go, um, Obviously, time away from sport, whether surgery is needed, right? If someone has a, we'll say, well, again, I hate to use you an example oh, again, please. we'll use your hip. So you had uh, a labrum tear, mm -hmm. too. So you knew this going in. You knew it existed for a while. You did everything you could to hold off and run as much as you could before you had it. Um, so I think starting there, any good medical professional, at least that's certainly ones that get the most 
best reviews, I guess, from patients are the ones who hold off on surgery as long as possible. Surgery should never be a first option. Mm -hmm. And so in that regard, depending on who's out there who's listening, they might need to get a second opinion or a third opinion. Listen to their heart. If, if surgery feels like the wrong option, but you're one person you're talking to saying you need surgery, get a second opinion. Mm -hmm. So start there. Um, then, again, if you have a second opinion, you get uh, another referral. If you don't already have a team in place, like a physical therapist or a kinesiologist or someone who you're working with, start there and get strong, right? You have to be your own self-advocate. You have to look out for yourself first. You need to do everything you can to avoid surgery. And then if it is that last option, you have to kind of cross that bridge, then do everything you can to set yourself up for that surgery and to recover from that surgery. Mm -hmm. So asking you know, your medical professional, who do you work with? How do you feel about surgery? You know, when do we cross that line? And then once you have all those pieces in place, I guess ask uh, the tough question most people don't ask until afterwards is what am I looking at recovery time, best case, worst case scenario, how long am I off my sport? Those are questions that always seem to come up um, once people are kind of midway through the recovery where they seem a little confused as to how soon they can run again, mm -hmm. which I think should be a question they should find out kind of right away. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those are all super helpful um, things to be keeping in mind, you know, as, as athletes, because I think that, you know, there's going to be a time when something's just not right. And that right. might be something that's not even an injury. It might be an imbalance. It could be all kinds of, of different things, but to be able to ask the right questions, to be able to seek advice and wisdom, I think is, is super valuable. And I know that I, I would not be at all where I am today. My first rehab process, you know, when I was, I didn't have the surgery yet, you know, the first time I went through and was able to rehab and, and reach my goals and then, you know, have this flare up. And there's just so many people who have helped me along your way, especially here at endurance rehab, rehabilitation and athletics. Right. Um, so yeah, I really appreciate that. And how about when someone comes in for PT, are there any questions that they should be asking specifically like um are there any things that you feel that athletes can have confusion on when they come in for the rehab process that's a good one i don't i don't know if there's any confusion i think at least adam and brian and i here do a really good job laying the, the, the groundwork so people have a full understanding of what they are expected to do so there shouldn't be too much question mm -hmm. there uh, on our end, all I guess we really worry about is people following that protocol, um, whether it be not doing it enough or too much, right? There are people who we need to hold back and say, you know, more is not better here. You need to do what is was is instructed, the proper reps, the proper you know pacing, the proper you know days of the week or multiple times a day, whatever it is. That you know if, if you're supposed to do you know 20 squats a day, for instance, 40 is not better. Mm. Likewise, if you can do 20, five and 10 is not better. We want, you know, there's a reason why we have that number in mind. And um, if you can follow that, the more closely you can follow it, the better. Mm -hmm. So what I'm hearing you say is that more is not better. <laughs> no, you, I heard you, you say that. I like reiterating it because all yeah. our listeners, I feel like a lot of runners tend to be the ones that might try to do too much and rush the process. I hate to paint with a broad stroke. <laughs> However, uh, yes, runners tend to be, um, and I, I, I guess maybe you can say athletes, endurance athletes. So I'll, I'll even throw cyclists in here as well. Um, they might have a small pain where you mentioned earlier, athletes come in tune with their body. They know something's wrong. They might ignore that first thing. Um, they land at our door when a second thing pops up. And then when they get here with that second thing, then it's like, how soon can I get back to what I'm doing? They've ignored one thing that's wrong. Now they have two things that are wrong and we have to kind of dig and figure out what started, you know, the first one and correct both things before they're back to their sport. Mm -hmm. So uh, going back a little bit to your, your previous point you mentioned, if there was another thing to mention to the people who are listening to this, um, if you know your body at all and trust you do, which I'm hoping most of them do, if something's wrong, don't wait on it. You know, say you have a bad run or a bad ride and there's a, there's a small ache somewhere, maybe give it a second run or a second ride. But if that pain lasts, you know, more than three, four days through more than multiple exercise sessions, get it looked at. Mm -hmm. 
don't let that thing become a bigger problem than it should be. And certainly don't let it become a compensation injury on the other side of your body. Yeah, was I hearing you say too that like, you know, there's one thing and then there's another thing. Is that because we're ignoring yeah. the original thing and then that we recompensate or we're not running symmetrically? Exactly. Okay. So yeah. That's kind of so the there. you go for a run and you have a, a, a knee thing flaring up, we'll say. And, and so suddenly your gait is changing because you have one thing going on. So now you're running funny on the other side. So the left side, you know, I'm touching my right knee. So your right knee aches, start running and your left leg is now compensating, doing more than it should be. So now you develop something, say, in your left hip. Mm -hmm. So you come in one time and, and Brian or Adam would evaluate and say, okay, what's going on with the left hip? And you go through that discussion. And then we ask anything else. I'm like, oh yeah, two weeks before the hip started, I had this knee thing. Like, mm -hmm. all right, here we go. Mm -hmm. Right? So you don't want, if you have a small problem to correct, it's way easier than, than fixing two medium problems. Yeah. Right? So. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. We know that it's all connected. But sometimes we think that we can power through, and in yeah. turn, when we're not listening, then we end up having greater problems or more problems. Well, it, it, down that down that path of thinking, the bigger concern is time away from your sport. Right? We do these things because we love them. We run or ride because we love them, and they are important to us. And they're they play different roles in everyone's lives. Some people need them physically. Some need them mentally. There's reasons why we do them. The the idea of not having that available, to not being able to run a ride the way you want to, or as often as you want to, as fast as you want to, that can be really troubling to a lot of people. And so that is, to them, that's not an option. Like they're gonna do everything they can to not stop running or to not stop riding. But I guess it's, my thought would be if you can get the small problem like that early, if there is time away, it's short. Worst case scenario, you have to shorten a few runs, maybe take a day off, extra week, versus having a big problem not that this situation is yours, but uh, having a labrum, right? Mm -hmm. That's three months of no running. Right. Or if you have both, that, it's like that's, <laughs> that That's a big hurdle for a lot of people to process. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, this whole conversation, we've kind of been talking about returning to sport and, you know, what we need to set ourselves up for a good return to sport. So what are some other advice that you would give an athlete um, as maybe they've gone through the rehabilitation process and, and now they're eager and they want to return, what is some advice that you'd give that athlete? Patience. Number one, patience. Don't, don't assume you're going to be anywhere near your previous fitness level. Right? Any time off, especially for aerobic sports, uh, it is the last part of your fitness you lose, but if you're out down for a month, you cannot pick back up where you left off. Mm -hmm. So start slowly. You cannot start too slowly. Mm -hmm. Zone two, easy zone three, shorten your times, just get the body moving, let your body kind of find its footing again, no pun intended, uh, get back to what it used to do, relearn the new movements, especially if there's a major surgery or even a minor surgery, uh, you're gonna move differently. Things are gonna be different. And no matter how you go through rehab or no matter how you rehab, you're not gonna have the same movement patterns you had before. So your body has to get acclimated to what that slight changes for good or for bad. Mm -hmm. um, so just be patient and be smart about it. Mm -hmm. Don't jump in head first. Mm -hmm. That would be a big mistake, right? That's probably <laughs> one of the big mistakes. Are there any other mistakes that athletes make when they return that you can think of? I mean, no, I mean, that's, that's the really big one. I guess a smaller one would be, especially in a case where if a, if a weakness was identified, if someone, say, someone who ran and only ran and they did nothing else mm -hmm. but run, through the rehab process, whatever the, the recovery is going to be, muscle weaknesses are going to be identified. Hopefully, the therapist you're working with identifies those and strengthens you up. So now you're strong all the way around, not just in one direction. Mm -hmm. And so people then will feel better and they'll stop doing the things that got them back to where they go, gotcha. where, they, where they are. So... Uh, you know, I'm a good example of this. I, I was a patient here before I started working here. Adam was my physical therapist. I had an issue with my knee. He fixed it literally with one visit, a couple exercises, some stretching done. I went back and came back. The pain came back about two months later. And the first question he asked me was, are you still doing your exercises? And I literally just got up and walked out because I hadn't been doing my exercises. I'm like, sorry to waste your time. Yep. I know better. So, and, and we're all our worst enemy people. Eventually, everyone figures it out one time or another. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because we feel when we're back to full strength, we have some, sometimes an illusion 
that everything's going to be fine. We don't yeah. really need to do anything nope. about these. It's behind movies. you. Yeah, it's behind you. Don't even think about yeah, it anymore. I don't think about it. I'm super powered yep. now. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. What I've really appreciated about working specifically here for so many years at Endurance Re Rehabilitation and Athletics is that I do get something like after um, where I can continue to do the exercises. Yeah. So like, I don't know if every PT will say, okay, this is the exit exercises or like what you can continue to yeah. do. Sometimes it's like, okay, we've, we've filled this prescribed amount of PT and then now, uh, I'm left and I don't know what to do, you know? And right. I feel like that's been one of the really big advantages to going to a place that understands athletes is that I get this like exit, um, protocol, so sure. to speak, where like, these are the things that you need to continue to do. And so is that something that maybe if an athlete isn't getting it, they should be asking their PT for? A hundred percent. Yeah. I, I would hope and expect that anyone done with physical therapy anywhere has things they can continue to do. Mm -hmm. And it would be suggested they, they do continue to do. Mm -hmm. uh, and it is the reason why I wanted to work here and why I saw Adam for so many years as a, as a patient before I was a staff member is, yeah, we don't want to see you a zillion times. We want to put the onus on you to do the work we'll, to get, you know, you get yourself stronger. We'll be there to fix the bumps when they come up. But yeah, if you don't have a protocol to follow once you're done, the therapy once you're cleared by, the, by your doctor and everyone, um, you should ask for one. Absolutely. So today there are probably some listeners who are healthy, who don't have niggles and things, and they are feeling blessed. Hashtag blessed. Um, what things can those healthy runners be doing to continue to stay healthy? Uh, I guess big picture again, try to look outside yourself, take a look at yourself, you know, from above and look at your patterns you're following. Uh, holistically, we're talking. So uh, obviously, we're all getting older, no matter how old we are. Uh, and as we get older, things like sleep, diet become way more important. Recovery time becomes way more important. There's tons of great studies out there now about how important sleep is for our body's functions, from brain to aerobic to muscular. Um, so I would always make sure you try to come back to you know, am I eating a, a well-rounded diet, getting all the nutrients I need? Uh, am I sleeping plenty? Do I have plenty of time to recover? Uh, and then beyond that, identify what your sport is uh, and what muscles you're using the most and check to see if, are there any, is there any part of my body I'm not using? All right. And again, coming back to running, running is, is a forward motion movement. It's not sideways, right? So there's a lot of, there's always muscle imbalances. I mean, IT band is such a classic thing, right? Um, that's a, that, that's a kind of a frontal plane, um, muscle and running is sagittal. It just, you're going this direction. So IT bands can be stronger. The TFL, the muscle that is the IT band can be stronger. Uh, glutes. I mean, it's, it's really easy to run without great muscle activation, right? Tons of muscles are involved. So it's easy to find negative patterns there if you're not careful. So getting, um, Getting a, let's say, yearly, maybe bi-yearly checkup with a bike fit, with a, with a gait analysis, with a, a, you know, just general physical, with a PT or someone with kinesiology, you can say, hey, you know what, you're, you're strong in all bases. Every direction, everything's working the way it should. That's a good way to set yourself up for success. That's such great advice. I think we, we as runners, we spend so much time training. We spend, right. we invest a lot of effort into our everyday lives. There's a lot of four or 5 a.m. wake up calls and we're getting it done. But sometimes we overlook such a, a critical factor to our success to keeping healthy because if we can't get to the fin the start line healthy, we can't get to the finish line, right? right? So I really like that advice and that's advice that we give to our athletes too is to do it a checkup, to go to that's a PT and like, what, and also that helps advise what our pre-run routine should look like, what our post-run routine should look exactly. like. I think that that's very beneficial. And then we can be more efficient with our time because we don't have a limitless time. No. It's so precious. So to be able to know specifically, not just shooting in the dark what things we might be needing to work on, but actually talk to a medical professional. I'm very passionate about this, guys. I talk well, to a medical professional about it. It makes sense. I mean, if you have someone who's going to invest the time and the money to, let's say, a marathon, right? So you're training for a, a big, long race. It makes sense. I mean, someone's not going to run. Most people don't run a marathon every other month, 
right? They, they have one or two they identify every year. So there's a down cycle there. They have time to build and then time to recover. That's a perfect time to go get that checkup and done and say, hey, is everything still working the way it should? I'm, you know, I'm, I'm recovering from marathon A and I'm two months from beginning training for marathon B. Just do that checkup to make sure, like you said, when you enter into the next phase, the next training cycle, you have all the pieces in place to set yourself up for success. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been a great conversation. It's Thank been a pleasure. Thank you for like, your help personally, but also for our audience pleasure. today. Is there anything you want to leave the audience with that, you know, someone, maybe someone's injured right now and what are some next steps that they can take to finding health in sport? Uh, I'll, I'll even go a little beyond just physical health. Um, so many people do this because it is what, it's just what they do and they don't think about or they don't process why they do it. I just remind everyone to sometimes remind yourself of the why and think about the little things like saying, I, instead of saying I have to go for a run today, I get to go for a run today. You know, try to find some joy in it because it's all supposed to be fun. We're supposed to enjoy this kind of stuff and sometimes it can be a burden with, you know, other life stuff piling up around it. So just take that second and remind yourself to enjoy it. That's really great advice. And it's been fun talking to you today, speaking of it has fun been. and joining in community. And that's what A to Z running is all about. So thank you for coming on the show, Rob. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. There's a lot to think about in this conversation. So thank you, Rob. The thing that really stuck out to me, there's actually a couple things, is um, – there are no small things. Yeah, everyone always says the little things. <laughs> yeah, the small little things. things. There are no, there are no little things when it comes to returning to health because those muscles, those little muscles, those little things that we're doing to strengthen that feel very tedious actually matter. Mm. And it's not a small thing; it's a big thing. And as we spoke about with Andrea last re- week, that we need to do it with urgency. You know, that we can think to ourselves like this is actually pushing me uh, to the road of getting better, and not only physically being strengthened in in order to run, but helping us as we're trying to become better runners. Mm. Yeah. I do want to highlight a couple mistakes that he did say on the show, and I thought they were really good. So mistakes, shutting down or stopping movement when we have injury. We have to find out what we can do because usually if you just shut everything down and you're not moving at all, things get worse. Well, at least your muscles get tighter, stiffer, and weaker, which is not a good thing, right? Well, and proof positive of how that is a ubiquitous concept is if anyone has had surgery in the last 10 years or more, um, chances are they're asking you to do things like the next day after the surgery. They just sliced you open and did all sorts of stuff inside you, and then they're saying, now you need to be moving again. Mm -hmm. Well, there's a good reason for that. Right, and we talk about that. Uh, We talked about it, you know, blood flow, and and Rob gave a few things there. Or... Mm -hmm. This is another mistake. People do too much, and they think that more is better. Yeah. <laughs> as much as I can possibly handle. Is right. That and, then set, and then that sets people back, mm-hmm. and then it takes longer because they're not doing what's prescribed. They're doing more. So I had a thought in the beginning, a tendency in the that beginning of- Rob had to talk me out of that doing more was better. So thankfully, he was able to clarify that message with me and and got me off to a a good start with my rehabilitation and and then I actually graduated guys I graduated from my rehabil my official rehabilitation from my hip labral repairs but I have to continue obviously to go it was just like the protocol from the surgeon that I graduated from so anyway okay are we supposed to give you a certificate or something I'm trying to figure out why you graduated I yeah you could a pat in the back a kudos did you graduate top of your class I guess it's a class of one, so sure. Well, and then also bottom at the same time. That's your (laughs) logic. Glass is always half empty. So There's more, Zach. (laughs) There's more mistakes. Okay, then the other one was uh, that people don't take ownership. So they just come to PT and they don't do all of the stuff in between. Mm -hmm. So taking ownership of the actual physical therapy stuff that you need to do. And then the last one is losing the joy and forgetting why you do it because that can really put us in a dark spot. Especially when you don't like the rehabilitation type of stuff and you just want to be doing like the activity that you are trying to rehabilitate toward. But that stuff is the reason you're going to be able to do the thing well and healthy and Mm -hmm. long-term. So, And finally, Zach, you're going to like this. He's like, people forget to continue to do the things that helps them get healthy. 
And we are all about yeah. having our routines and making sure we're activating and having good functional movement as part of our regular strength routines. So thank you for sharing that, Rob, and making sure we're all on track with that. Truth. And definitely wanting to be on track, we should probably jump next to the world of running. First in the world of running, some A to Z runner updates. This being a weekend for some interesting events. A lot of relay action going on. Um, and in particular, five of our runners running a, uh, a marathon relay. Brandon, Andrew, Zach, Hannah, and Christy. Congrats on a little bit of fun racing, as relays often are. Lots of good and entertaining things. Mm -hmm. Additionally, there's some uh, some other triathlon relay stuff going on, which we'll have to update you on later, as we're not yet sure of those results at the moment we're recording this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but we do know about Monaco, and I get to talk about one of my who's Monaco. Monaco is a place. It's a uh. Diamond League event, <laughs> and Faith Kipyegon narrowly missed the world record. In the 1500 meter run, I was wondering if someday she'd get it because she's just been continuing to dominate the field for years now. Yeah. And that's one thing she doesn't have yet. Well, she had prior to this run the fourth fastest all time. And this put her in second by three tenths of a second. Three tenths of a second. All time. That's the meaning of narrowly right there. Yeah. Yeah. And really, I mean, really, so this is especially. It's kind of crazy because now the way they do it, right, they've got those lights going around the track. They call them wave lights. And the lights are two different colors. There's a blue and a green series of lights, and it's on the pace of the thing that you want. And so the blue lights are world record pace. And you can watch them in the video, but also she can see them as she's running. And they're just just a little bit ahead of her, like the entire time, just right in front of her. And she's not quite on the blue lights the whole time. And you just know, like... She knows, she knows if she doesn't touch those blue lights before the finish line, she doesn't get the time. So she's like the entire race well aware of the fact that she's not quite on it. So banking in the final bit, of course, that she might have a little extra to give to get it. But it's just not quite there. Mm. I, I don't know. Personally, I don't think I would like that. I think that would be miserable. But the fact that she didn't fall apart when she was, like, extending herself that much. Didn't fall apart at all. Just didn't quite have that edge. It just makes me edge, think, yeah. like, maybe on a more ideal day at a better part of her peak. I don't. I mean, I don't <laughs> know where she's at in her peak. Obviously, she's run the fastest of her entire life. Well, and, and that's saying something because she's been very fast for a long <laughs> oh, yeah. time. As a matter of fact, Faith Kipiegon holds six of the top 13 fastest times ever run in the distance. Okay, that's domination. Six of them. Yep. So, like, the rest of those 13 times are held by other people around the world, and she's got half. Um, second cool. and fifth are her two fastest currently. Okay. And then 10th, 11th, 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th are the rest of them. Wow. So she's, I oh mean, she, she's right there, right? Yeah. That's pretty crazy. Well, there were some Americans in this race as well. Yeah, in a world-class field. Yeah. Still some fast racing happening somewhere behind Faith Kipiega. Yeah. Yep. Heather McLean and Elise Cranny were second and third in PR times mm. of 3.58 and 3.59. And we didn't actually say what fifth K Faith Kipiegon's time was. Mm. 3.50.37. Yeah. Yep. And so she was eight seconds faster than the next <laughs> time in the race. It looks like it, too. So I think that probably those lights were helpful to her. Well, they certainly kept her dialed in. Right. Like focused. Yes. Yeah. At a minimum. Well, that was, good. yeah, that was an incredible event. And Americans really did, uh, there up. were four Americans in the heat. Um, and minus Sinclair Johnson, who did not have a good race. Corey McGee was back there only tenths off of her own PR as oh, well. That's great. So, cool. Good stuff. Yeah. Very exciting. All right. Well, next up from the same meet, we wanted to mention, uh, exclusive, uh, What's the right word here? Exclusive? Excitement. Exclusive excitement? Um, You're the only one who's excited. I have right to word. say no, no, no. I'm excited as well. I mean, well. like, in this is an exclusive on this person. Oh, oh sure. Anyway, okay. um, Grant Fisher, who arguably is the current hope for U.S. distance running in, in world caliber races, because um, he certainly has been performing better um, and better as time goes on. And it's been exciting to watch him. But he just hasn't quite landed in the championship races where he's getting like fourth fifth 
seventh, <laughs> those kinds of places. Um, so his world championships was a little bit disappointing for him. And as a consequence, you get one of two things in these moments. You either get an athlete who uh, is a little bit discouraged and disheartened and has a hard time kind of putting it together for the rest of the summer, or you get someone who's got a chip on their shoulder and they're really going for it. And uh, it seems like Grant Fisher's the latter in this case. So he ran the 3,000 meter at Monaco, which is, that's a shorter distance for Grant. Now, rem remember that he actually was a miler at heart early on. And then it was through his college and professional coaching uh, that they dialed him up to longer distances. So Grant's getting back toward his roots when he does a 3,000 meter, and I kind of like to see that personally. Um, and now adding then another distance to his repertoire of American records. Yes, that's right. He ran an American record time in the 3,000 meter, besting Bernard Legat's American record. And that was one of the faster comparatively the records that we have in yes. the U.S. So It was a good record yeah. before. Now it's an even better record. So, yes, Grant Fisher ran uh, what what amounts to one of the most patient and savvy races he's run in many years. Um, I don't know. Is it patient if you're running sub four? It's just like he had it. He was so fit that he just kept pressing, 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 well, pressing. Well, it's patient because he stayed within himself okay, yeah. when a race that was – that went out at world record pace. Yeah, it did go out at world record because place. Birihu Aragawi of Ethiopia asked for world record pace from the rabbits, and so they gave it to him. And he looked like he could have, like he could have had it on a good day. He he started fading in the end. But anyway, Aragawi, who is going at world record pace, and then not alone has company. Right. So Thierry, mm, I'm gonna try this name, Ndikumwenayo, of Burundi, is right there with Aragawi. And then there's kind of like this gap. And so the field is like trying to stay close to them. But you can tell like people just don't quite want to commit to it. And Grant Fisher just hung back, mm. just stayed chill. So as it unfolds, Aragawi ends up fading a little bit late in the race. Not a lot, but a little bit. Um, and Ndikumwenayo, okay. sorry, um, overtakes him for in the final kick to take down the Burundi national record, one of the fastest times ever run in history in 725. And then Grant Fisher, in his final lap, is just marching down the field, yeah. one after another, picking guys off, to the point where he ends up finishing third in an American record 728, and everyone's watching that race thinking, if only he had another 100 meters, yeah. he would have won the race. It looked he like it. He was coming on so fast in the last 200. It was Awesome. So cool. Mm -hmm. Well, great run. Absolutely. Sure. Now, Zach wanted to talk more about Oliver Hoare because we were pretty well, geeked about what he did at the we Commonwealth were. Games. We spoke about that last week on the show. But, Zach, tell us more. Well, yeah, I, not just I want to talk. Apparently, lots of people in the world want to talk oh, more sure, about him. Sure, sure. But on our show. Interviewing him. And, and, uh, uh, yes. Well, so Ali Hoare won the Commonwealth Games. We reported that already. Um, and that was coming off of a world championships that was very disappointing for him where he didn't even make it to the finals. Um, just really had kind of a, a, a bad race. Well, poorly executed race. Um, the first thing I want to mention is apparently after that world championships, coach Dathan Ritzenhein of on athletics club, who is Ollie horse coach. Um, so Ritz says to him, will you cave in or will you try to progress is the mm. question. Um, and he just gives him the binary. Like you can either just, you know, let it overtake you or push it aside and keep fighting. And clearly Ali Hoare kept fighting clearly. and fought well. So he wins the Commonwealth Games. We mentioned that that was especially pertinent because it was the first time since 1958 that an Australian won the Commonwealth Games. Like 1958 was back when it was called the British Empire Games that long ago. And so that's significant. But also it's important. Important to reflect on Ali Hor's own consideration in the race itself. And so this quote just really stood out to me. Um, he said, I made too many mistakes referring to the world championships. Moving forward, surging, not conserving energy. If you watch other people stay at the back and really push the last hundred, then when you have that mental gap of getting past that quickly and that aggressively, you start to go into a dark place. And mm -hmm. that's an interesting reflection because that's exactly what we saw from him in that semifinal. And you're thinking to yourself, watching that, like, Ali Hoare's better than that. He definitely is. Well, what happened there was not a physiological problem. It was a mental and emotional problem. We're just, and he also stuck. By his own words. He's, yeah, well, and I mean, he was stuck. Yeah. As well. But, his, but his, his own admission yeah, yeah. is that it put him in a bad spot in the moment. Well, 
So here's what he does then yeah. to combat that in the Commonwealth Games is he stays more simply within himself. He waits. He doesn't try to do anything dramatic until the moment when it matters most, which is the last hundred, to the point where he was boxed in in the Commonwealth Games in a bad position, even with 200 meters to go. And he just stayed right there, kept dialed in. And as soon as he had a gap, he took off. Yep. And that's it was such a different race from him. And it was so cool to hear the reflection from his own part mm -hmm. on what exactly was going on in his head to make right. sure he wasn't making the same mistake. And he wasn't leading the race until he crossed the finish line where he won. <laughs> I, I mentioned that last week, but I want moments. you guys to all know that because it was it was quite amazing for him to charge past four people, I think, in the last 100. It was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. So I, I always like to, I, I can appreciate when we can get into an athlete's head a little bit about these kinds of things because it's really, um, it's not as simple as, you know, I I ran as best as I could that day and that's all I had to give. Um, we always hope that we can do that every day. But there's so many more things playing a factor. And one of the most important reflections in that is what can I do to make sure that I can get the most out of myself every time I am racing every time I'm trying to push myself to the limit. Um, and that is a bridge unintentionally to an interesting article I stumbled upon today. And so I wanted to share this with you because it's directly related to this fact. Um, so published on Runner's Tribe, Matt Fitzgerald wrote about uh, lactate measurement, specifically in training. Apparently, there's a Norwegian triathlete who is especially famous for in training, they test the lactate measurement, blood lactate levels of the athlete throughout a workout. Doesn't, so, doesn't don't the um, Ingebrigtsen's do that? Maybe it's I apparently quite common do. in Norway. Because I think the, they do. I've read other Norwegian I read an article, athletes. and I yeah. think that the Ingebrigtsen family does that. I wouldn't be surprised. That's not confirmed in this particular article, but the point being made is is relevant here. And so Matt Fitzgerald is writing because he says a lot of people have been writing him about that and saying, "Should we be doing this? Like, should should runners be doing this?" Um, and the good example, the clear example, is they will do something like an interval workout, and in between every interval, retest blood lactate levels. And as the blood lactate levels are stable, that means you know continue on with the effort and once they start to rise that means you got to be done right because you because you're starting to enter acidosis um slightly initially and so you stop before you hit extreme anyway point being fitzgerald was responding to the question should we do this and his answer was really fascinating to me first his answer was no we shouldn't do that uh, mainly because it's it's impractical and um so obviously most of us aren't going to have access to like blood lactate level testing of equipment every time we do workouts, right? Um, additionally, and his, his fascinating reflection was there are a lot of other things that tell us the same thing as your blood, blood lactate levels, like respiration rate. And um, if you have some good measurements that produce relative power output and things like that. And so his comments were, we can do this in other ways that aren't as complicated as literally testing your blood. But then he kind of stopped before he got to the point that I was really hoping he was going to make. Um, he started to make it. And so I definitely want to, I don't want to say that he didn't say the thing that he was certainly saying to a degree, which is we also don't really want to rely just on those data measurements to know whether we're doing a good thing in a workout. And his comment was when he works with his athletes, um, he can structure a workout and based off of how they're going in the workout, know when they probably should stop or should do more or less. Um, and his his comments were, you, if you get to know an athlete and you understand how an athlete is performing and training in general, and you understand what an athlete's capable of in the moment, then you should be able to accomplish this without any of those measurements. But the step further, and this is the part that brings us full circle, is of course, all of these things are a kind of handicap to the most pertinent thing that we should be trying to do in training. Which is this is Zach speaking now. <laughs> this is me speaking, and this is what all of these things should be about, which is teaching ourselves to do the kind of effort without any measurement. Because I know, based off of how much effort I'm giving and how it's feeling accordingly, whether it's accomplishing the purpose. Yeah. Well, I do think, though, like I'm going to just kind of digress here. I think that it would be interesting, though, as you're training your effort to know 
what is actually too far? Like, where are the edges? What do I feel like when I hit those edges? But I think you can probably do that uh, in a crash and burn situation as well. Well, <laughs> and you can. Um, Without testing. The reason they, the rationale they gave with the Norwegian athlete was they know with with literal data that they are not going too easy and not going too hard with every workout, right? It's like, oh, well, that, sound, that actually sounds really valuable. Like, if you can be so precise that you always know that you're in the Goldilocks zone, as Fitzgerald said. Um, and that's great. But they're not doing that in the race. And so if that athlete, in theory, is always relying on the data to tell that information, in the race situation, it's not quite as easy, even though, and some will argue that, well, okay, so the athlete is familiar with how it feels because every day they're yeah doing the right thing right but they're not paying attention to it that's the point they're not paying attention to whether they are getting the effort right by feel and knowing that with truly they're paying attention to whether or not the data is telling them the right thing and then they're just trying to replicate it that's not the same thing so i guess yes there's value to these things and i am a purist it's true i'm an absolutist as well and so i'm constantly <laughs> saying this only and I'm not, so that's thing. why we balance each other out. But on here's the, show. <laughs> the reason why this, in particular, this area I'm so adamant about is simply because most runners. So we're not talking about the elite runners with access to all the best equipment and facilities on the planet. Uh, most of us do not have access to consistently accurate data measurements that provide perfect replication of the types of things that we would need to know for these things. Yeah, and even if we have reasonably good data measurements reasonably good is not the same as precisely accurate so even in that moment i think you know what we're handicapping ourselves and it's not always going to give us what we need so why would we rely on it at all yeah that's my thinking well we do a lot of thinking here on the ADZ running podcast maybe too much <laughs> well we love that you've joined us today thank you to rob andro for coming on the show today and for all of you that are injured that are listening out there thank you for your injuries <laughs> no what <laughs> that's what that sounded like oh. i know that's not what you're saying i was gonna say and this is another thought and for all of you who are injured out there right now who are listening to this show i just want to encourage you along as rob said to find your joy find your why the reasons why why you like to exercise and move and the health that you are seeking through the sport of running and you know those things that it brings you but thank you mm. again and speaking of seeking chances are that you're also seeking answers to your questions <laughs> and we would love to answer them yeah. so go to a to zrunning.com slash question to share a question and you may in fact also be seeking greater levels of support even than answers to your questions and so if that is the case, of course, we would love to help you out. And it certainly starts with just, you know, we'd love to interact, comment on the stuff, question on the question thing. And head to adzrunning.com and look for the word coaching to check out our services mm -hmm. if something more is what you're after. Thank you all for joining us and we'll talk to you next week.